This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. It is good to see everyone. It's good to be back with you once again. And uh, we've enjoyed our, our time being here and uh, appreciate so much the Averitt's hospitality. And, and uh, it's, it's been a great weekend so far. And hopefully the lesson this morning will be helpful to you. Uh, I know it's always, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking, I guess, having somebody come speak that has never spoken at your congregation, and also speaking at a congregation you've never spoken at. It's, it's uh, probably a little bit of anxiety on both sides, but hopefully you're not too anxious about it. Um, we're going to study the gospel this morning. We're going to study uh, some, some portions of the Bible that have to do with um, uh, several different topics, but, but it all comes down to the gospel. This morning, uh, I like what the brother said at the very beginning of the service, you know, there, there's a lot of things that happen in this life. There's, there's a lot of things that go on in this world. And most of it, we can do absolutely nothing about. And we get real wrapped around the axle about some things that, that a lot of times, you know, wars in other countries and uh, invasions and uh, terrorism. And, and all these things can really bring us down and really weigh on our minds. And there is just not a single thing we can do about any of it. But there are some things that we can do as Christians, personally, for ourselves and for those who are immediately around us, in our circle of influence. You know, a lot of times uh, I'm reminded of, of uh, I don't know if y'all, y'all know Stephen Covey, but I'm reminded of uh, some examples he gives about your circle of influence and your circle of concern. And how you should grow your circle of influence and your circle of concern, you should shrink to come down to the same level as your circle of influence. Because if you can't have influence over it, what's the point of being concerned about it? If you really have nothing to do about it. So I want to read, I want to start off this morning with a reading. And uh, we're going to look at Psalm 34. Uh, I love this psalm. This psalm speaks to me... um, and, and uh, especially uh, love a song we recently learned that, that goes uh, along with this psalm. And, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just a really powerful psalm if, we, if you really get into it and, and really let it, let it tug on your heart. Um, let's, let's read through it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we want to advance to the next slide. There we go. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who de desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them, out of them all. He guards all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. What a beautiful psalm. Uh, the psalmist captures the spirit of what it is to be in Christ. How great it is to trust in the Lord. And if you're not in Christ this morning, unfortunately you, you don't have access to these blessings. And so we want to talk to you this morning about that. And I also want to talk to those who are in Christ. Because so many times we tend to lose the urgency of our mission. We tend to lose the urgency. When we get concerned about all these greater things happening in the world, we lose the urgency towards those who we're most concerned about. And that's the people we know who are lost. The people we know who are outside of Christ. And if you're outside of Christ this morning, you should know that the people of this congregation are concerned about you. And they love you. And they want you to come to Christ. To obey Him. And so when we read these blessings that are in the Lord out of these psalms, when we read about these great and wonderful things that God has done, when we magnify his name through the songs that we sing, do we remember that there are those whom the Lord is waiting for? And the question is, why are you waiting this morning? What are you waiting for? Why have you not come to Christ? Why have you not obeyed him? And if you're in Christ, the question for you this morning is, what are you waiting for? Why are you not approaching those whom you know need to obey the gospel? What's stopping you? In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6, the Bible says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's a lot of things taught in the 55th chapter of Isaiah, but what I want to concentrate in on is this small sentence, this small phrase here, seek the Lord while he may be found. That insinuates, that infers that there's a time limit. There's a time you're going to have to seek the Lord. And after that, that time is over and you cannot find him. That may be the end of your life. That may be the loss of an opportunity. Call upon him while he is near. Call upon the name of the Lord. There's a time limit. This life is so uncertain. You know, we get to thinking about things like, well, what if I get some disease? You know, we worry about things like, well, well what if I get sick? And I, it leads to my death. 
But, you know, we always think about these things as being future, don't we? We always think about, well, that might happen. But today's today, and I've got today, so I'm good to go. We think about it that way. But the truth is, we never really know what's going to happen today, do we? We never really know how much time we've got left. In James chapter 4, verse 13 through 14, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. <clears throat> you know, something happened recently in, in, uh, in my circle that really kind of woke me up a little bit. And that was, uh, we had a, I'm, I'm, I'm an agent, I'm in law enforcement, I, you know, we, federal law enforcement, it's a long story, I'm not going to tell it, but, so we have an agent in, that is in Phoenix, Arizona, was in Phoenix, Arizona, and they were out doing firearms qualifications <laughs> one day at the range not too long ago. This is something I do all uh, commonly uh, with the folks I work with. He's out at this firearms range and going through the normal motions of qualifications and uh, the things that they normally do. And an accidental discharge happened at the firearms range that day. And he was shot in the chest and he died. Now, he might have woke up that morning thinking about going to the firearms range, thinking about safety there, thinking about the things that he needed to think about. But you know what he didn't think about? I'm going to die today. He didn't think that at all. I'm sure. Didn't enter his mind. In fact, while he was at the range, he was probably thinking about things he was going to do that evening with his family, with his four kids and his wife. He might have been thinking like a lot of us commonly do about in a few years, I'm going to retire. And I'm going to go on and do other things. I'm going, to, I'm going to pursue some things that I've been interested in for a long time. I'll, I'll get done working for the government and I'll, I'll go do some other things. But he didn't get that time. That day was the last day. And I'm sure he didn't expect it. But you know, we're all on that same time clock. And we don't know when it ends and we don't know when our family for them it ends or our friends for them it's going to end and if you're not in Christ you don't know how much time you have left you could leave this building drive out on that road right there get in a car wreck and die right after this assembly and you just don't know so the question is why are you waiting secure your soul with Jesus Christ this morning you may not have time to do it later and if you're on the fence, jump off that fence. It's worth it. Think about the words that the psalmist said. Magnify the Lord with me. Great is God. Great and wonderful are His promises to those who are in Him. Time is uncertain. It's certainly limited. So why not now? We're told in the Scriptures that, that Jesus is waiting. He's knocking. He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once 
The master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. When the door is shut, it's not going to be reopened. When your time is up, there's not going to be another chance. So come to Jesus today. Don't wait. He says he's at the door. He's waiting. You see, he's done his part. He says in another scripture, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Imagine, if you will, that you were uh, drowning in some water and someone was standing over you with their hand out, saying, just take my hand. What would you do? Well, you wouldn't sit there and flail in the water anymore. You would grab their hand, wouldn't you? Jesus is essentially doing the same thing. You're drowning. You're drowning in sin. If you've got one, you've got a thousand, it doesn't even matter. You're drowning. And Jesus is standing with his hand out. He's knocking on the door. And he's saying, just open. Just open your heart to him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is waiting to take on your burden. How often do we encounter that in life? Where someone comes up to us and says, hand me that weight. I know you're struggling. Give it to me. I'll take it. Very seldom. And, and never with something so, so important as the burden of the sin in your life. Is it weighing you down? Is it weighing on your mind? Do you lose sleep? You know, something, it's kind of humorous, but, but really in the end it's not. Uh, you know, we go and we talk to people who have broken the law. And sometimes we confront them with the fact that we know that they've broken the law. And several times in my career have I had people say, I have just been waiting for you. You don't know how many nights I've slept or haven't slept. Just waiting for somebody to come to me and let me know that it's over. Like the relief in their voice is amazing. You know, they've, done, they've committed a crime and they know it. And they've just been waiting for somebody to come release them from that burden that's been weighing on them. Now the punishment is a whole other story, but... It weighs on us, doesn't it? And if you've got sin, and we've all had sin in our life. We all know what it's like to have it weigh on our minds. But what a lot of us have realized is that Jesus has done his part. And he's released us from that burden. Like the psalmist said, he, he listens to us. For those of his saints, when they cry out to him, when the righteous cry out to him, he listens to them. And don't think we're righteous because we strive to live righteous lives, because we strive to do good things. We're righteous because of Jesus. Because his blood has released us from the penalty of sin. And we want that for you this morning. Why are you waiting? Jesus has done his part. 
The scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 1, and, and Romans chapter 1, if you've read it, uh, has mostly to do with the fact that, that the Gentiles lived really awful lives back in the day. Paul was addressing the fact that Gentiles uh, had forgotten God, essentially. And they were living their lives without him. So he addresses this in Romans chapter 1, in the 18th through 21st verse. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth of, in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What he's saying with these things is there are no acceptable excuses. Why haven't you come to Christ? God has left you very little room to doubt. Do you doubt God? Did you look at the glorious morning we had? Did you go outside? Did you see his creation? Is there any doubt in your mind? You know, I was thinking not too long ago about the fact of, of how all these things that we have found out through science and through discovery and, and through our in, inquiring about things. But yet, the human mind is still an unknown adventure for humans. We still can't even figure out what makes us think and figure things out. We don't know. We don't know exactly how it works. We don't know where thoughts come from. And it's amazing to me. Amazing is our God that he would create such a creation that we could think about things, think about him in ways that other animals can't. We can think about our own selves, outside of ourselves, and have that awareness. That is amazing. That is unbelievable. And when we think about those things and we think about the creation and everything God created, we don't have an excuse to not believe in God. He says we're without excuse when we just look at what he's done. Not even knowing everything about the Bible, but just looking at what he's done for us. We are without excuse. There are no acceptable excuses, but I want to talk about some unacceptable excuses because what we do as humans is we justify, don't we? We make excuse. We think of reasons why we can't do something or why we want to do something else. We make a lot of excuses. Personal responsibility is one of those things that we tend to diminish. He says in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, the very following chapter of what we just read, Therefore you are, you are inexcusable, O man, who you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. What do we like to do? We like to look at our neighbor and go, well, I may have done this, but look what he did. Look what he's doing. Look how miserable his life is. Look at the mistakes he's made. When, when you look at my life compared to his, man, I seem like a pretty good dude. But we do that, and what we do is we diffuse our own personal responsibility, and we say, well, my sins aren't that bad. So what do I need Jesus for? And so we wait. We put it off. We refuse to accept that personal responsibility for our sin, and we put it on something else. 
We blame others. We blame circumstances. And we put it off. Is that, what, is that what's causing you to wait? Is that what's causing you to put it off? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, Jesus addressed this and talked about judgment. And talked about people's inability to accept and be accountable for their sins. You know, he used, he used ideas like, well, you've got a mote in your eye, and then you see the beam in your brother's eye. And, but guess what? That beam in your eye, it's your beam. You probably put it there. You're responsible for it. And so stop using that as an excuse to put things off. What do we see in Scripture? We see excuse after excuse. Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. King Saul blamed the people that God made him the king over. Romans talks about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 talks about it. He talks about how people judge one another, how people put off their own personal accountability, their own liability for their sins, responsibility for their sins. But you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, let's actually turn over there and read that right quick. I think I've got it pulled up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He says, you're going to be responsible for your sins. And don't think, if you're not in Christ this morning, don't think you're going to stand before God and say, well, but did you see the circumstance? Did you see who was involved? Did you see who was influencing me? The very next scripture, the apostle says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. He says that's the whole reason we do what we do, because we know the terror of the Lord. We know you're going to stand before God and answer for the things that you have done. And so you need Christ. You need Jesus and his blood to cover that and to remove that sin from your life this morning because you want Jesus on your side if you're standing before the Father. Accept that personal responsibility. Go ahead and accept that sin. Admit it. Confess it. Repent of it this morning. You need Jesus on your side. Another excuse we use is a disregard for the truth as a standard. You know, we like to fudge things, don't we? Adam and Eve did it in the very beginning. Well, Lord, you don't understand. This situation happened. It was Satan's fault. It was Eve's fault. This woman you gave me, Adam said. Unbelievable. He blamed God. We disregard the truth as the one standard of judgment and pretend it's not real, not valid. We act as if the truth is not important. Romans chapter 2, verse 2 says, But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things, against those who judge others, against those who practice all the sins that he talks about in Romans chapter 1 that the Gentiles were involved in. He says, you know what, the, what standard he's going to use? He's going to use the truth. He's going to use the truth of his word. God is truth. Jesus tells us that he is the truth, the light. 
No one comes to the Father except by him. Jesus said, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Jesus said, when, he, when you stand before him, he's going to use words you already know. The truth. That word will judge you. And it's that same truth. In John chapter 8, verse 32, he said, And the, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's that same truth that makes us free from the judgment that we might encounter with God. The truth of Jesus Christ. And if you're not in Christ this morning, you don't have that defense. You don't have that truth. That word he will judge you by making you free from the punishment of sin. So don't disregard the truth. Embrace it. Love it, because it's that truth that will set you free from the sin that you're enslaved in. Another excuse we use, self-justification. We like this one a lot, don't we? Well, but if you had been in my situation, you would see why what I did was the right thing, even though it was sin. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same thing that you will escape the judgment of God? You know, we look around about us and we see all the sin going on in the world and we see it as evil and we rightly proclaim it as evil, don't we? But sometimes we look at our own lives and we justify ourselves as being higher than that, don't we? But what we ought to do is see the sin in our lives. Realize it for what it is. Look into the truth. Realize comparing our lives to the truth that we have sin in our life. And we will not escape judgment, the judgment of God, by that truth. People excuse themselves. They justify their wrong actions. Or we think about it in the sense, well, well I, it was a special case. Don't we? If you get caught speeding through a, through a speed zone, speeding into town when the speed limit's been reduced, cop comes walking up to the car, you're like, well, you don't understand. I was, I was on the phone. I was, I was busy. I'm going here. I'm going there. You don't understand. It's a special case. Well, it always is. When it's me. When it's me, I want mercy. When it's you, I want justice. Don't justify your sins. Don't stand before God and try to justify what you've done. We've seen people do it throughout the scriptures, haven't we? Job stood before God. Tried to justify himself. Tried to question God. How could you treat me like this? Look what I do. God had some things to say to Job, didn't he? He set him right. And Job realized it. Job admitted it. He had that contrite spirit. He had that broken heart before the Father. He wasn't a special case. He didn't have a unique temptation. He suffered the same temptations... 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we all face temptations that are common to pan. And so many times we fall to those temptations. So don't justify what you've done, but admit it. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord <clears throat> so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 through 3. Think about that comparison. 
For those of you who are husbands of wives who have gone into labor, or for those of you who are women who have gone into labor, you know when it, when it comes, it's here. And there's no backing out at that point, is there? He says, that's how it happens. You're all comfortable with where you're at, where you're living. You've justified yourself in your own mind. And then the judgment of God comes. Don't be on the wrong side of that argument. Don't be unprepared. When a pregnant woman, when labor pains start, it's too late to be unprepared. Things are moving along at that point. Don't be unprepared. Don't justify your sin. Admit your sin. Come to the Lord with a contrite spirit. Another excuse we have, I think, comes from a lack of gratitude. The Bible talks about it in these terms. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you despise the forbearance of the Lord? And you might think about that in, in human terms and say, Well, no, I don't despise the Lord. I don't hate God. But isn't a lack of gratitude for what he's done for you kind of the same thing? Realizing that he's put off your death because you haven't obeyed the gospel, because you haven't come to Christ. He's given you time. We don't know how much time. Could be today, could be tomorrow. How long will his forbearance last for you? Do you despise that for parents? Do you lack an appreciation for God's goodness? You've seen, as we talked about before, all of the goodness around you. All the good people that are out there. All the great creation that is around you. You've seen that. You've witnessed it. Do you really have that excuse that you can't be thankful for what God has done for you? So much that you are thankful for His forbearance to getting you to this point in life where you have the opportunity to obey the gospel? Why are you waiting? Is it because you don't appreciate God? Turn from that thinking. Turn towards God. Again, He's waiting. He's knocking. He wants you to come. Have an attitude that you're gracious, that you're thankful for what the Lord has done. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Second Peter 3, verse 9-10. Again, he's saying there's a limited amount of time. Do you despise God's forbearance, His long-suffering? You know, when I read these scriptures, I'm reminded of this theological uh, argument and uh, you know, I'm not going to proclaim it as the truth. I'm, I can't tell you that it's, that it's in Scripture. But there's a theological argument that God created the earth and created people in the earth such that the maximum amount of people could be saved. That's, it's really beyond my ability to think of what all implications are in that. But, but it's an interesting thought. That he created the earth in such a way and created people in such a way that they would have the maximum amount of time that the maximum amount of people could come to Jesus before it was too late. 
Now, what he's not going to do is make the decision for you. But be gracious enough to God that he's given you the time and opportunity to take advantage of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't lack an appreciation for his goodness. He is good. He has done so much for us. So why not now? Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 says, Whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father. You want Jesus on your side when you stand before God. You're going to want his blood covering your sins. You're going to want to confess that he is the Son of God. Because if you don't confess it now, you will confess it then. He tells us so in Scripture. That in that day, all will bow before him. All will confess his name. Repent of your sins. Don't justify them. Don't take advantage of God. Accept his kindness. Accept his loving kindness and his mercy. Repent of your sins. Be contrite. Humble yourself before him. Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus said, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repent of those sins. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. The Bible gives us instruction over and over to be baptized for the remission of our sins. Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. You will be saved. You can put your every confidence in Jesus Christ that if you follow these steps and you understand the gospel and, and you obey your Lord in baptism, you will be saved. No doubt. You can leave today with full confidence that when you stand before God, Jesus will be there standing with you and his blood will cover your sins. You know, we look at all the examples of conversion stories in the book of Acts and in every single one of them, no matter the point they were at in their learning of Jesus Christ, whether they were just believing, whether they were just hearing, whether they were just believing, whether they had already confessed him, whether they were just repenting of their sins, they took action immediately. And you know, that's what we're missing so much of right now and, and that this lesson is geared for is that sense of urgency. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you need to do it. You don't know how much time you have. If you're already in Christ, we need to have a sense of urgency about us and the mission that we have in preaching the gospel to others and bringing people to Christ and a lot of times we lose that sense of urgency. Why? Because after death, what comfort will be found in the praise of men? What pleasures will be found in the sins that we could not find convenient time to give up while here on this earth? What will our money buy? What profit will there be in religion? None. None of those things. It'll be too late. I'm reminded of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. When the rich man looked up and said, just dip the tip of your finger in the water and comfort me for just one moment. And Abraham said, it's impossible. It's too late. The rich man enjoyed money. He enjoyed comfort. He enjoyed his sins for a season. And when his life was over, it was over. And in death, there was no more chances. So why wait? Don't wait any longer. Don't put it off. There's no reason to. You believe in God. 
Believe in his word, that word that's going to judge you in the final day. Believe it. Understand it. Don't you believe in God? Do you believe his word? Are you testing him? Are you seeing how long he will forbear your sins? How long-suffering he is? Don't test God. You never know when that day is going to come. Are you mocking God? Do you not think you understand enough? We've covered the things you need to understand this morning. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He died for your sins. That if you'll confess Him and repent of those sins and be baptized into Him, you can walk away this morning with full confidence in Him and in your salvation. Are you indifferent? Are you apathetic about it? You don't know how much time you have. Come to Him before it's too late. Psalm, back in our Psalm 34, He said, Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's what your life can look at from this moment on. That's what it can look like. Peace. Relief from those sins. Obtain that this morning. Be baptized into Christ. Release yourself from that guilt of those sins. And then seek good days. That's all the lesson I have this morning for you. I hope it's been helpful to you. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, I hope you will. If not this immediate time, get with the brethren here and study some more. Understand the gospel and obey your Lord in baptism. Because you need Jesus on your side. If you're are in Christ and you've lost that sense of urgency maybe you've turned away from Jesus a bit in your life come back to him read and understand his word understand that you'll be judged by the truth repent of the things you've done and come back to him and walk in his way and have that peace throughout the rest of your life we stand ready to help you in whatever way we can if you have a need of prayers this morning or if you need to obey the gospel, would you come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing the song selected? We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.